man, I, I, I just love it. I, I love working with people and helping them break through challenges and glass ceilings and change careers or, you know, folks that are sick of being an employee and they want to start a business all the way to, you know, literally strategic design within an organization at a global level on how to create infrastructure so that people can do their best work, right? So it's either at the individual level or it's at, you know, kind of the organizational global level or anywhere in between. Uh, I just, I really enjoy kind of maximizing the efficiency of how people work. Thanks for uh, coming on the Road Less Babbled. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here. So you and I met in Charlotte where we were both speakers at an event and uh, we connected afterwards. And <laughs> it was one of those scenarios where, you know, you, you're telling me about your life story. And I'm like, dude, I got to interview this guy because this <laughs> is this is just taking twists and turns. I never in a million years expected. So for, for folks who don't know who you are, what's the 10,000 foot view? You know, how'd you end up on this podcast? What's your background, et cetera? Yeah. Um, well, you know, in a nutshell, my wife calls it career ADD. So, <laughs> so if, uh, if that makes sense to anybody out there, um, you know, life started, uh, kind of on a different road than where I ended up. Um, when I was a young kid, I was a kind of destined to be a musician. So I was a child cellist and had the opportunity to play with a couple different orchestras. And that led to the opportunity to Traveled to Europe for my first tour, which was pretty exciting. <laughs> and, um, you know, one thing after another, uh, kind of got accepted to another tour and then, you know, another global tour. And so I ended up spending a fair bit of my childhood or at least high school career either away at an arts academy, uh, Interlochen Arts Academy in northern Michigan, or on tour, uh, living out of a bus and traveling the world and uh, experiencing different cultures. But you know, that kind of came to a a, a brutal end, uh, a shocking end of me realizing that I just didn't want to spend the rest of my life living out of a bus and living out of hotels. You know, in that world, it seems like you're either <clears throat> the best of the best and then you're front and center on stage and everybody knows your name mm. or you're not. You know, you're you're one once removed, which means you know you're not you're not getting the penthouse. You're just getting a normal hotel suite. <laughs> so, right, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, so I, sh I shifted gears, went to school. Really had no idea what I wanted to do, but I got lucky. Uh, both my parents are physicians, and so when they said I got, had to choose a major, I chose pre med. Little did I know that wasn't my path, but they said, "Oh, you got to pick a minor too," and I chose psychology. And man, just you know, fell in love uh, almost immediately. Uh, it happened to be a behavioral program for undergrad. And then I went on and got an MBA in strategic planning and studied cognitive psychology and advanced, you know, degree and, and so forth. Um, but uh, the, the, the twist, I think that we were talking about is I, I, I found I wasn't the guy to say, hey, lay back on the couch and tell me about your marital problems. But I was more uh, I'll call it applied psychology. So at the time, I like every other former musician, <laughs> I became a rock climbing instructor, and because <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> that makes sense, right? So I, I'm I'm studying psychology. I'm I'm working at a brewery and I'm working at a climbing gym, and I see this opportunity to capitalize uh, on the climbing gym and the time in our downtime. I'll call it that. You know, we're busy as all get out on the weekends and evenings when people aren't in school and aren't at work, but the gym's just sitting empty, you know, every weekday. And so I started leveraging the psychology that I was learning in school and developing corporate team building programs. And no that's where I kind of got my start. So, you know, our regular clients, you know, worked at big corporations and I'd ask them about team building and They'd say, yeah, you know, we do stuff. And <clears throat> I'd say, great. So I started uh, creating these programs, you know, would blindfold people, put them on the wall and say, okay, let's talk about trust and communication. And, you know, how does that, uh, how does that apply to work? And so uh, that, that became my, my foundation, uh, you know, from there, I won't bore you with all the details, but I kind of simultaneously had a, a executive career with big global Fortune 500 companies leading HR departments and talent management and head of HR and, and those sorts of things. Um, and then uh, 
simultaneously built and bought, sold uh, little businesses on the side, uh, breweries and a DNA forensics lab and um, consulting firm. And yeah, so kind of had this, you know, most most uh, fathers go out there and they work during the day and then they're a soccer coach at night. I just, uh, I worked during the day and, you know, <laughs> ran small businesses at night. So I, a glutton for uh, work punishment, I guess. That's interesting. You know, it's, um, I bet to you the thought of just going to a nine to five the last 15, 20 years, however, 10, um, is probably just like the most traumatizing <laughs> scenario to imagine. Yeah, it's, it, uh, my brain doesn't work that way. Right. Um, <clears throat> the last company I was with in particular, they were really focused on health and nutrition and, balancing, you know, work and, and your life. And I learned a lot in that role about, you know, just my rhythms and my routines and when my brain is active and my brain is Mm. active like all the time. (laughs) So, uh, you know, this current, one of my current clients right now, I'm kind of, uh, interim head of HR, you know, I show up there, it's maybe a half hour commute. And I get there around 5.45, 6 in the morning. I'm usually leaving around, you know, 6, 7 at night. Uh, but then the funny thing is I, I come home and immediately hop into, you know, my computer and and look at, you know, I do some executive coaching and have some one-off clients and, you know, get updates and find out what's going on. And, you know, we're, we're building a brewery that should open in the next uh, six, six, eight weeks, you know, so I catch up on that. And it's just um, just kind of the way I'm wired, I guess. That's super interesting. Why do you think you're, cause I can relate to the whole, your brain's always on thing. Why do you think that's the deal? Is it, do you remember being like a five-year-old and it being that way? Or do you um, think it's something you developed? <clears throat> I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I mean, there were, I've never been a good sleeper. I mean, that from a health perspective, that's probably my biggest challenge. Even when, you know, I lay my head down or even when I'm, you know, dreaming, because I'm a very lucid, active dreamer, which means I'm not a very good sleeper. Uh, you know, typically it's it's about work or it's about problems. Um, I actually remember vividly, you know, back in even college and high school, like not having studied as much as maybe I should have for some right, test right. or something or, you know, in college, like having some project that I'm working on or now, you know, I'm going, you know, I've been invited to do a keynote speech or something <clears throat> and going to bed and thinking, boy, you know, I haven't fully resolved exactly how I'm tackling this mm. and I'll dream about it. I, you know, I'll, I'll be actively <laughs> solving problems at night and wake up in the morning with answers. And, um, I don't think that's necessarily healthy, right? I, I, you know, for a while there when I was young and energetic and (laughs) had hair, um, (laughs) that, that, that worked well for me. But, uh, you know, as I'm getting older, I just, you know, crossed into my fifties. Um, you know, I, I, I need to figure out a way to, uh, to get better sleep, but, um, you know, the brain always on thing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've, I guess part of it's learned, part of it's uh, developed, part of it's, you know, natural, um, but it's fun. You know, I, my, when I found my niche, you know, this whole idea of business psychology or, you know, the human factor side of business, um, man, I, I, I just love it. I, I love working with people and helping them break through challenges and glass ceilings and change careers or you know, folks that are sick of being an employee and they want to start a business all the way to, you know, literally strategic design within an organization at a global level on how to create infrastructure so that people can do their best work. Right. So it's either at the individual level or it's at, you know, kind of the organizational global level or anywhere in between. Uh, I just I really enjoy kind of maximizing the efficiency of how people work. So what do you how do you think it impacted you? being a child prodigy in the music world. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a prodigy. Otherwise I probably would have stayed in the, uh, <laughs> in the music world. Well, but, but, uh, but you were still good. At, I mean, let's okay. You weren't the 0.01%, but you were 1%. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it, it, or 10% or something. You were good enough to keep getting these gigs. 
How do you think that impacted you? Just your development, your, your life trajectory, your, cause it's, it's cool, but it's kind of weird when you look back at it, you're like, huh, that's an unconventional way of having a childhood. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, you know, I, I guess there's two things that popped to mind and I remember my, uh, mother-in-law, um, who was freaking awesome by the way. Um, but she said something about, you know, interlocking arts Academy is a pretty highly reputable, uh, school, right? So mm-hmm. it's not, not everybody that, you know, applies, gets in and stuff. And so she made a comment, you know, because I'm not, you know, quote unquote, a professional musician, um, you know, something like, you know, that, that, that was wasted or, you know, too, too bad. Something didn't come of that. I can't remember exactly how she said it. And it gave me pause because I thought, well, you know, it, it gave me a huge amount because I learned you know, how to balance this creative side that is a, a huge piece of who I am and how to uh, organize it into a channel that actually delivers something. Mm. Because creativity is a great gift, but creativity unbridled can just kind of make you go insane. <laughs> right, um, right, right. So, you know, interlocking ta- taught me the idea of, you know, independence and practice and that there is purpose and like all these different elements to hone the creative side, the, the idealistic side, if you will, or in Myers-Briggs terms, the intuitive side of myself uh, to produce action, to produce results. Um, the other piece that came out of it, which I didn't realize till later in my career is I kind of started out, you know, training and development, as I mentioned, but then it was more stand-up classroom, you know, training and development. Then it became big conference speaking training and development. Then it became, you know, global, you know, executive for learning and executive development and all these other things. But, you know, all tied to how do you get other folks to learn something? Mm. And so what I learned at Interlochen was, uh, for lack of a better term, stage presence. Right. Is is this idea that you can have the most boring topic in the world, but if you have stage presence, you can still get people to learn it. And so how you know, how do you emphasize your voice? How do you leverage visual cues? How do you pull the audience in to be wrapped up in whatever message that message it is that you're trying to deliver? Um, That's powerful. Right. Because I've trained many corporate trainers and such over the years. And that's a really important element. It's not just about, you know, delivering bullet points or having, um, in fact, it's sometimes even less about being strategically organized and how you're uh, conveying information. It's more about where is the audience mind at? How do you meet them at that point? And then how do you move them effectively in a different direction? And that involves, you know, emotion that involves, um, logic that involves uh, participation <laughs> you know it involves a lot of elements uh, to get that audience to move yeah that's so interesting I've, I've thought a lot about that um the stage presence piece and for good or for bad uh i've always kind of been able to just pull that off um mm-hmm. even at a young age and i think a lot of that for me, because it, it drives me a little bit insane. Like, for example, in the podcast, there's been many a time where we get, you know, 30 minutes into an episode. So we've already done some sort of pre-recording conversation. I've gotten a feel for your personality, et cetera. We said, cool, let's do an episode. And then 30 minutes into after hitting record, their entire demeanor changed. Their personality is different. Their cadence is different. I'm like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're either not going to record this or we're going to re-record again because this is not what I signed up for. And I think we're, this, we're 13 minutes in. So I have what another uh, 15 minutes to prove myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. No, no, no. You're doing great. But, but I think the same exact thing happens when people get in front of a crowd and yeah. uh, they, they get this like nervousness about it. So they like turn into this completely different person. And when the reality is, is like people are attracted to genuine levels of energy, whatever that level of energy may be, as long as it's genuine, people are attracted to it because we are constantly inundated with just, just this quite frankly, horseshit of personalities all the time. Like one of the things that drives me insane is when I listen to, uh, forums or debates or whatever. And, and one of the local news people is hosting it. 
And they sound like this when they ask a question. It's like nobody talks like that. No, nobody, no, not a single person on God's green earth naturally talks like that. Stop it. Right. Um, so well, the same you know, as, it's a, go ahead. I was going to say the same exact thing falls into um, the energy and the stage presence of speaking to people. Again, I personally, I know I have a strong personality and a, and a strong level of energy when I come in a place, but that's genuinely me. I found other people who are faking that energy incredibly off-putting and people who are a more calm demeanor, but it's genuine, significantly more attractive to, to listen to and engage and to listen to. Yeah, totally agree. It's, um, <clears throat> it's an amazing metaphor to me, what you're describing, because it's, it's not only, in my mind, uh, you know, just standing on stage or just participating in a podcast, but it's, it's everything that we see in kind of what I'll call corporate leadership development. It's, you know, okay, if you're going to have a critical conversation, meaning you're going to somehow reprimand somebody, we're taught, okay, you know, here are the bullet points. How are you going to, you know, follow this path, deliver this message? Your goal is to get alignment and agreement. And so people almost shut off the emotional side of themselves to follow the script and the script isn't what's important, right? It's, it's the energy. It's, it's even maybe less the words, but it's, where's the authenticity. Right. And, you know, I, I, my coaching has changed so much over the years from, you know, that, you know, what I was taught and what I was taught to teach back in the day of, you know, follow this script or follow this path, or this is how you engage in a tough conversation or whatever that might be into now. In fact, I did a disrupt HR, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, it was pre pandemic. And the first, you know, words out of my mouth as I stepped on stage, as I screamed and, you know, made at least half the audience jump, which was of course the intent. Um, and I, I just screamed, stop you know, emotions, get rid of the emotions. You can't do good work if emotions are getting in the way. And then the question is, is that really true? You know, emotions are data. Emotions are information. It's how we connect with others. So now my training, now my teaching is all about how do you understand emotions? How do you understand energy? How do you connect people to people where they're at? And then, you know, much like speaking that I described earlier, What's, what's the defined goal? And then how are we going to get there? You know, emotional intelligence would tell us sometimes somebody needs a kick in the ass. <laughs> sometimes somebody needs a hug, right? But, you know, a, a, a regular, you know, if, if I script that, then I might be giving a hug to somebody that's ready to punch me out. And, right. you know, so it's, it's really reading the room, reading the person, reading the situation and, and connecting authentically. Uh, to the person that you're working with and figuring out, okay, where do we go to he- from here and, and how do we get there? Yeah. And yeah, kind of back to that authenticity point of, and the data point of emotion and just how we communicate as humans. And there's just so much, I don't know. It, it's interesting because when you're 13 years old, and you're playing an instrument in front of a crowd, there's really nowhere to hide, right? <laughs> Correct. Like you're center stage. So if you suck, you're going to know that you suck. So that's instant feedback, right? If you're great, you're going to know that you're great. Instant feedback. So, um, and I feel like a, a lot of the fear people have around being genuine is they have not crossed the Rubicon yet of expecting and accepting instant feedback, like honest feedback on themselves. And here's what I mean by that. So one of the things that people, uh, it's just an analogy I thought about the other day. One of the things people are always like, oh man, you've got a podcast, man, I couldn't do that. I hate listening to myself because you know, your voice sounds different than what it's to yourself than what it sounds like in real life. Hmm. The echo in the head. (laughs) Yeah. The, the water and all that good stuff. And uh, I have to explain them like, so would you believe me that after hundreds of hours of recordings and hundreds of hours of editing, um, one, I love my voice now. I hated it when I first started. And two, I don't even hear the fake voice anymore. When I hear my own voice, I hear my real voice because my brain has 
I guess it's trained to recognize like the same way when we actually see something, it's flipped and then our brain flips it for us. And that's why we see right side up instead of upside down. Um, I think my, I think my brain has started to recognize like, Oh no, 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 that's not the right voice. The real voice is this. So I hear that now. And it's that it kind of goes back to that real instant feedback. The more instant, honest feedback you get from all these experiences and putting yourself out there, the more you can actually analyze and really truly try, try to understand who you are and become comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I buy into that uh, partially. Um, I, I don't know if this is a evolution of that thought or a degradation of that thought, but my experience, it's hard to have all people kind of in the same bucket. Right. So I'd almost stretch that out into a continuum. I think there might be, I, I actually totally agree. That there's some folks that maybe that instant feedback, they haven't become comfortable with it. They don't know um, how to deal with it, or maybe they haven't been exposed to it before. And then I think maybe on the opposite side of that continuum, there might be, maybe it's it's the same label in a different package or something, but that, that cautionary, like I have been... Uh, I have gotten feedback that I'm too bold, that I'm too much, that, mm-hmm. you know, I've, and so now I'm pulling back, right, on, on one side of the equation. And then on the other side of the equation, it's the opposite. You know, I'm not saying enough. I, I should do more. You know, boy, I really need to step it up. And, and so opposite ends of the continuum, I think people are probably fighting the same battle from, from opposite ends, if that makes sense. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting on how people then react to that because maybe, maybe one person is struggling with you know how to dial back their strong opinion so that they can get others to you know listen, agree, follow, whatever, and you get somebody else that's trying to find their voice and say it in a way to get people on board and listen, agree, you know, react, whatever. Um, and I always kind of put that in the framework of if you walk away from an instance and you're thinking, ah, man, I wish I would have said that, Uh, you know, but, but I didn't, you know, maybe you're on the cautionary side. If you walk away from a situation, it's like, oh man, I probably should have bit my tongue that time. (laughs) And then you're probably on the bold side. Uh, But, but both of them, you know, kind of fighting to, to find that middle ground of, how do you convey a message, share an opinion, be different, um, evolve thinking and do it in a way that, that will pull people in uh, to the conversation as opposed to alienate them and have them running out the door. Well, speaking of alienating and running people out the door to is a wonderful transition for what you were just saying is um, <laughs> most HR departments, for example, terrify employees. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Which is an interesting position to be in within an organization. I've asked this question before to friends of mine uh, Mm. in that world. Um, Thoughts? Uh, Well, one of the best compliments that I've received uh, multiple times, multiple reasons, different situations. You know, I got my steel toes on and my PP safety equipment and we're walking around, you know, the big plant and, you know, we're chatting about. Uh, you know, process for a continuous manufacturing system. And I'm asking questions about the digester and fibers. And, you know, the guy turns to me and says, wow, uh, you're not like a typical HR guy. <laughs> so uh, to me, that that's a huge compliment. That's not to, you know, alienate my, my colleagues in HR. But I think um, what I've seen over the years is kind of two, two different elements. Number one, you have professionals that have grown up in the HR world that have learned either, you know, from the academic side or this quote unquote, supposed to do things side. And they kind of act as the HR police, right? And so they feel that their role, whether, you know, right, wrong, and different, whether they, you know, were directed to do it that way, or they just, you know, took on that persona themselves. Um, This idea of, the shoulds, you know, we should do this. We have to do that. Um, and, and boy, that's, that's really alienating to folks. Uh, cause I believe, uh, most folks are trying to do a good job and, you know, if they're being told, you know, you have to do it this way or your personality is wrong or your leadership needs a change or your communication sucks, or you're on a performance improvement plan, 
you know, that's kind of rough. Right. Um, on the opposite side of that continuum, you see how I think in continuums. Mm. Um, I know a lot of HR folks that have grown up on the rah-rah side, you know, hug therapy <laughs> and blowing smoke and, you know, inauthentic and everything's awesome. And, you know, quote unquote, you know, employee engagement means everybody's happy. And man, that, that that's just as frustrating and annoying as, you know, somebody that's breathing down my neck. Right. So I think, uh, I think that creates a challenge, right? I, I think, uh, if I was to, you know, draw that continuum up then to another continuum is if we're always focused on HR and policies and procedures and legalities and so on and so forth, I don't know how much we're, we're helping the business. And I certainly don't know that we're helping the employees or the people of the business. And then on the opposite side of that continuum, um, where I think I play, uh, because I'm an entrepreneur, because I'm business savvy, because I not only teach, but I do business myself. The whole idea behind HR, in my mind, is how do we effectively create situations where people can perform at their best? Pretty simple. And so that means we need to interpret things like <laughs> policies and procedures. We need to be pragmatic you know, I, I'm dealing with this client right now. We have about a one inch thick draconian, you know, written in 1980 something uh, employee handbook. And one of the policies is that in there, it says, you know, we are allowed to search and seize <laughs> anything oh in your person, you know, for these reasons, that reasons. And, and, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you know, that is just so crazy. So we need to throw that handbook out. And be much more, again, kind of pragmatic to the world today and, you know, focus on how can I have a conversation and break down the walls, break down the barriers, remove the issues so that somebody can perform their best. And, you know, if it involves something where there is, you know, poor behavior or, <clears throat> you know, misaligned issues or drugs or, you know, something that's creating a, a, a safety issue, um, then yeah, I, you know, I got to draw the line, hit that head on, but I'm still going to be human about it. And, um, yeah, so I think, uh, I think a lot of HR, like a lot of other professions has just evolved where it's, it's easier to, um, I'll use the metaphor, Google it, yeah. follow, follow the, uh, four bullets that I'm supposed to do and, and execute against that. That's way easier than actually thinking about it, right? I, I see a lot of that in the millennials today. Just because you have the answer written on Google in front of you, how are you going to do it? How are you going to deliver it? How are you going to facilitate it? Um, that's a that's a different skill set, and it requires engagement and thinking and emotional intelligence, and you know the ability to kind of put a human framework around what it is that you're doing. It's uh, you hit on one of my uh, pet peeves and uh, just life, but not just like leadership and organizations, but the, the rah-rah. Yeah. Dude, if you want a surefire way for me to never trust you as a human being, be one of those people that has a fake smile on your face all the time. <laughs> Instantly. I'm like, yeah, this person's full of crap. That might be a downfall of mine. That might be something they're not even doing consciously, but does that drive me insane? It's like, stop, stop. We're all like, <laughs> we're all, we're all here trying to make money, provide for our families. I don't need like an existential explanation for why I work here. Every time I talk to you. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. So, so a lot of it is just like, again, kind of treating people like real people and meeting people where they are. And I think that's such a hard thing in our, our world today, especially with so many people working remote, especially with so many people being disconnected, especially with so many people, you know, jumping jobs one to another. It's okay for your job to be a life calling. It's also okay for your job to be, you know, just something you do to provide for your family and you've got passions outside of it. Both of those are okay if we're going to talk about a continuum, right? Absolutely. I just had a conversation earlier this week with somebody, a millennial, and, you know, they were, they came into my office and <clears throat> great background, uh, you know, good work, really like this person. And, but she was, I think we have uh, off the top of my head, I, I, I think this organization has seven or eight, you know, holidays. It's the typical, it's the Thanksgiving, right. Christmas, you know, 4th of July. 
And she was saying, uh, you know, she really thought that we should have every federal holiday off, which is, of course, much. I was about to say, yes. Right. It's like 20, 20 of them or something like that. Um, and that we should have a floating holiday and that we should have a uh, our birthdays off, and, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, she felt pressure that she couldn't take a lunch break. Um, she felt That's interesting. pressure that, you know, if she showed up five minutes late in the morning or left five minutes late, like, you know, that was inexcusable and so on and so forth. So I, you know, I listened with empathy and true, empathy, and not, you know, not faking it, but I, I really want to understand her perspective and her perspective in a nutshell was, you know, we work our asses off and we just, you know, all these little things feel like I'm not appreciated. Right. Mm. And, and so if we could get to some of these little things, boy, that would go a long way to making me feel better at work. You know, maybe the package was delivered a little bit, you know, off, but right. that, that was the essence of what she was trying to say. And um, so, you know, I listen, I understand that. And, and she's right. I think there are some things that we could do from rewards, recognitions, appreciation, et cetera, we could do better. But at the same time, you know, package being what it was delivered in, I'm like, you know, we got towards the end of the conversation, shared that I appreciated her comments. And I'm like, so I have a question. Like, when do we, you know, flip side of this conversation, when do we work? <laughs> And and she just kind of looked at me and, you know, that was so far from her thinking. And she's just like, oh, we work our asses off. And it was just carte blanche, you know, all inclusive, like that's such an obvious thing, right. but no real, you know, detail behind it. And so I, you know, I decided to probe a little bit more and, you know, ask the questions that you're talking about, like, you know, is this a career for you? Is this, you know, you're living your dream or is it just a job? Because it's, it's okay, right. To just be what it is. And, you know, in this person's role, it wasn't really quote unquote inspiring what she does. Um, but she kind of came around to, you know, I, this is what I do to provide the rest for the rest of my life. And I'm like, that that's okay. You, you you don't have to be filling your cup, you know, necessarily at work <laughs> if yeah. that's not the work that you have chosen, right? And so it's just a really interesting conversation of, I guess, what I would call balance, right? Just understanding, to your point, you know, I had a neighbor who uh, he he hated his job. I mean, he absolutely hated it. So I'd see him, you know, five, six o'clock, whatever, in the afternoon, we grab a drink, have a beard, and <clears throat> he wouldn't really bitch about work. But every once in a while, he'd let something slip. And I'm like, well, why don't you change jobs or careers or companies or whatever? You know, you could be happier. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, it's called work for a reason. It's not called happy time. <laughs> it's, it's called work. So this is what I do to provide for the rest of my life. And I thought that was a really interesting, you know, kind of perspective. Yeah, it's so interesting. But like one of the one of the key things that I wanted to touch base on what she said, she feels like she's uh, scared to take a lunch break. Um, it, it it truly blows me away at times. In the the business leaders I've interacted with, fall into like one of two camps. Here's where I'm I'm cutting the continuum apart <laughs> uh, because it's so extreme. I don't think you can call it a continuum. It's a bifurcation, guys. Um, yeah. They're Economy. either they're either just the coolest people you want to go grab a beer with, or they are so self-unaware. I'm, I doubt they even know they exist themselves. And <laughs> there's there just seems to be no in between. At least the ones that I've met. It's right. Who? It's 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 hard. Um. Cause some, like I have seen employers treat employees like good, high paid employees, like total trash. And then the employee quits and the employer's like, I am shocked. And it's like, you're an idiot. If you're shocked, how are you shocked? How is this possible <laughs> that you are shocked? Were you living on Mars right. for you to be shocked? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> well, it makes me laugh. Cause when we met, uh, my topic was the five justifications on why your boss is an ass. Right. 
which is exactly, you know, what you're talking about. And, you know, I, you know, one of the topics that I covered is this whole idea and I've had several CEOs that I've worked with, you know, they get so focused on, you know, the business, the goals, the and they have to be, I mean, really that, that is their job at the end of the day. Right. And, um, but one of them that I talk about and I've seen so many times, and there's one gentleman that, that certainly jumps to mind, you know, his caveat to being a total ass was, let me be transparent. And then he had just let it rip. <laughs> right? right. And, you know, the whole essence behind let me be transparent, it as taught, you know, in leadership you know, classes and books and, you know, all this stuff is to provide context, right? Is to give people information so that they can make better decisions, feel supported, uh, do the work better, you know, whatever it, it is. I mean, that that's the idea of transparency. <clears throat> but this gentleman He'd say, well, let me be transparent. You suck. You're an ass. You can't do shit. You know? And then he yeah. would just let, let it let it rip. And it's like, dude, that's not transparency. That's just you being an ass. Um, right. <laughs> and, and, and you do see that, right? In, in leaders, they get caught up. You know, these business folks are they're trying to drive towards, you know, something. And, and I tell you, the, the more that their ass is on the line, the more that they you know, are tied financially, emotionally, whatever it is to that company or business or project being successful, the right. stakes are high. Right? And and so the more those uh, kind of awful behaviors can come out. Right, right. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I just, maybe I'm just a firm believer in finding balance in life. And driving <laughs> yeah, for that. Uh, I'm certainly, I, I'm certainly there too. And 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 I guess that's maybe where the continuum stuff always comes from. But you know, connectivity, understanding relationships, this whole continuum and kind of extremes, and anything. I mean, you could have the best, you could have the best skill set in the world, right? Or the best right. um, expertise in the world. But if it's pushed pushed to an extreme it becomes an Achilles heel. And so, you know, that's where that balance on that continuum, I guess that's where I'm driven from is how, how can I, you know, I meet somebody, I work with an organization, I see that they're an extreme, you know, one direction or another. It's like, how can I be that counterbalance to kind of, you know, bring it back towards the middle? Right. Right. Um, well, coming up on time here, but you know, Hey, you made it past the 30 minute mark and we didn't start over. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, I'm always I'm always curious with other folks who I have a feeling you're probably similar to this. So I don't ever see myself, quote unquote, stopping working. If that makes sense, I don't see myself um, retiring in what like the traditional sense of retiring is. Yeah, I see myself scaling back significantly but I'll never really see myself retiring. Do you feel like you fall into that camp? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the, um, my definition of retirement changed about maybe 10 years ago and it shifted from, you know, this idea of, you know, you hang up the work and you move towards, you know, I don't know, golfing or hanging out by the pool or right. you know, whatever it is. And it was all, and it was always a function of money, hmm. right? I have a, I have enough money around me, access, you know, whatever that I don't have to go quote unquote work for money. Right. And my definition of change has changed to retirement is more about doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And it doesn't really have to it's not really a function of money because what I found more recently is I do things that I really enjoy. Um, I, I put out just kind of an erroneous message on LinkedIn with my Calendly link saying, you know, saying, are you frustrated? Do you hate your boss? Mm, yep, you know, yep. Do you want to make a change? You know, whatever, just set up some time with me and, and we'll talk. I love doing that. I really enjoy doing that. And I would do that not getting paid for it. Ironically, 
I stumbled into, some folks have reached out to me and said, hey, I want you to be my career coach, or hey, I want you to be my executive coach, or whatever. And so I've taken on that work. It wasn't intended to be that way. I just wanted to help. You know, Mm. if I can spend 30 minutes with somebody and help them, you know, break through a challenge, I'm absolutely happy to do that. Um, But, you know, that definition of retirement now being I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it, I'm architecting a future of more speaking engagements, uh, more keynote stuff. I really enjoy that more executive and personal coaching stuff because I really enjoy that. And I'm not I'm not tied. Right. I can take my computer. I can coach anybody in the world from anywhere in the world. Right. 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 As long as I have Internet access, we're good to go. And so am I going to retire if the definition is doing what I want to do when I want to do it? uh, I'm getting ever so close. Mm. If the if the definition is, you know, I'm not going to an office to make money, pretending like I'm working, even though I'm playing solitaire behind my computer. Right, um, right, right. Hell yeah. I, I, I don't want to do that now anyway. So um, I guess it kind of depends on where you're coming from. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't really considered it that way. I was, yeah, interesting. So how... <clears throat> You know, how do you pivot that, the accidental, you know, exploration of a LinkedIn post that leads to, you know, facilitating all these super interesting conversations? You know, everybody, especially amongst millennials, which is the generation that I belong to, everybody's like looking for this purpose in their life and in their work and what they're doing. And you've like accidentally stumbled upon this. Like, how do you quantify that and, and make it so to where you have like a clear vision around what that purpose would be? Um, you know, it's hard for me to tell anybody or even the only thing I can do is, is guide. Like I can offer exercises, conversations, you know, different experiences, whatever to a person to help them define what their purpose is. And some of that, you know, really stems back to, to me discovering mine early, you know, so I'll share metaphors and stories and provide books and, you know, all, all that stuff to somebody else on their journey. Right. For me, it was really interesting. It, it was kind of accidental. And, and th- there are several points in time where different layers of my purpose were defined. But one of the most significant ones was being in Europe, you know, full circle here, going back to that musician stage when I was pretty young and staying with a family, uh, this was, you know, Western or sorry, Eastern Europe, um, you know, before the wall came down and, and it was, you know, pretty, <laughs> pretty extraordinary to, to meet this family, uh, three little kids, a widowed, uh, almost frail, um, you know, mother, but oh my gosh, she, she was frail in like perception, like physicality, mm-hmm. but just a rock solid lion in, you know, every other aspect and, you know, she, she had a lot going on in a small package. And, um, so, you know, had this wonderful experience, of course, at that time and in the world as it was, uh, very, uh, you know, I'd say poor, right. I mean, just family did not have a lot, you know, uh, a teenage boy, a you know, middle school age boy and a young little girl, and then this mother and we went to their house and, you know, as we approached this building, you could still see the, the mortar shells had blown out sections of the building. You know, we go down to the, the basement area, which is where their teeny tiny apartment was. And it was just so old, right? It wasn't dirty, but I swear you could sweep that floor for eight hours and it'd still just have history, right? It's just a very sparse and kind of stark um, dwelling, you know, in this building. And, and so it didn't matter, right? We had these wonderful, completely broken English, you know, trying to understand each other conversations. They fed me this meal, which, you know, I've been a vegetarian for a long time and this was not a vegetarian meal. So I was not a little bit, I'm sure. Uh, But um, you know, I ate, you know, more out of, showing my courtesy and appreciation. And, and then of course, after I ate, which we were late. So, you know, there, there was, you know, a, a, a kind of a platter of food 
And I took as little as I could without being offensive. And then I was done figuring everybody else had ate. Well, then the kids ate. And I'm like, oh, you know, this realization that like I'm the guest in the house. This is how they operate. This is kind of, you know, they feed the guests first and the kids ate. And then after all that, there were morsels left and, you know, the mom ate. And and that was kind of how they approached everything, right? Even sleeping arrangements, you know, that they had these mats or these cots and, you know, they gave me a cot and the mom was sleeping on the floor and I, you know, no, 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 you know, I'll sleep on the floor. Like I can't do that. And she, you know, she'd wag her bony finger at me and, you know, I could tell I was being scolded. I could, I didn't understand the words, but it was like, listen, you, you yeah, are going to sleep on the floor, whether enough. you like it or not. Right. And so just a, a great experience. And they didn't have enough money to even go to the performance. So, you know, I made arrangements. They went to the performance. They loved it, had great interaction. And sorry for all the context, but I, I feel like it's important. And so we're we're getting ready to leave. You know, I've only spent, you know, two and a half, three days with this family, but great bonding, amazing experience. They have given me so much, you know, just insight and um, I guess, you know, just relative understanding of the world and needs versus wants. And, you know, just, it was pretty heavy. Right. And so I'm hugging all the kids and have, you know, we're saying our goodbyes and tears and eyes and everything. And I, you know, the bus is loading up we're getting ready to leave. So I give this big hug to this wonderful mother, this wonderful woman. And I just say, you know, with, with all incredible respect, like, I don't understand why you brought me, why you, why you hosted me, you know, you just don't have a lot of money. You know, you could have spent that on your kids. You could have done something else. And she leaned back and she grabbed both sides of my face, like, you know, her little bony hands strong, you know, on on both sides of my face, you know, on my cheeks. And she kind of pulls me in. She looks me deep in the eye and she just says, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to send my kids to the world. So I brought the world to them. Oh, and in that moment, I didn't realize the impact that that would have on my life, but that pretty much defines my purpose. Wow. We interact with people all the time and don't realize the influence that we have. People are looking at us, reading us, judging us, comparing themselves against us. And who am I? (laughs) to think that I'm doing anything right, but it is my obligation to be that point, to be that person, whether I know it or not, uh, that can be that catalyst to something bigger and greater for somebody else. I don't know if that's going to be the guy working the elevator or the guy at the convenience shop that I pass or it's, you know, you that I'm having this incredible conversation with, or, you know, somebody that I meet when I'm out there in the world, but it's my obligation to follow this path that uh, hopefully will help somebody else find their path. And Mm. so that's what it's all about. Well, that's one hell of a way to end a podcast. (laughs) That is such a powerful, like mother's, mission as just like a human it's like i can't i can't take my kids to the world so i'm going to bring the world to them that's right and i had i had selfishly right i I had entered that whole event how ridiculous of me to say (laughs) you know why did you bring me here you know why did you give me money it wasn't about me um right and it's and it's not about me uh, when I'm doing my best work, when I am helping others find their purpose, find their new career, build a business, uh, create an environment at their company where their employees can thrive, it's not about me. It's not mm-hmm. about my opinion. <clears throat> it's about how do I remove barriers? How do I help people find their path and do great work? Mm, I love that. So let me, let me ask you this, wrapping up. We go back to 18-year-old Jason, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. At this <laughs> point, you've probably decided you're not going to be a musician forever, right? Uh, it was right at eight. I was struggling at 18 trying to figure it out. But but yeah, that's, that's, that's a pivotal time for sure. All right. So we go back to that individual struggling through 
the identity crisis that probably comes with that. Yeah. The, the crisis of what are my goals and purpose? There's one piece of advice you could give yourself to that individual today as you knowing all that, you know, and knowing all that, you know, about yourself. What's one thing you'd go back and tell 18 year olds you. Hmm. That's funny because knowing myself back then, I was pretty stubborn and obstinate and I wouldn't listen to anybody. So So I have to be clever in what I say because, I mean, there are things, you know, like, you know, don't worry, it's going to work out. Right, right. You know, there's all these kind of like high level things. But if I was really to, you know, bump into myself back then, um, you know, I'd probably accelerate some things things that happened or that I did that really helped shape and form, you know, who I became and and where I got to. And the way that that happened is I started talking to people really authentically and, and basically doing what we're doing here, right? Asking questions, understanding, you know, their perspective, their life uh, lessons, you know, how that impacted them, et cetera, et cetera. So I might just casually say, Something like there's some pretty powerful wisdom in lunch conversations. I'd say something like that just for a hook, because back then, you know, if somebody told me what to do, I probably wouldn't have done it on purpose to not do it. But if somebody would have put a hook or a challenge or something out there, like, what does he mean by that? Uh, I just would have dwelled on it, right? I would have thought about it. And then I would have been like, okay, I'm going to take somebody out to lunch and see what this is all about. Right, right. And then that would have hooked me. And then, you know, on on the path I would be. Um, so, yeah, they haven't really thought about that before. But um, a little bit of trickery, a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of hook. I probably would have said, uh, you know, there's some, there's some power in just having conversations. Um. I, I, in 150 times I've asked that question, I don't think anybody's ever responded that way. So I'm actually incredibly impressed right now. <laughs> That's a very different way of thinking through that question. Well, uh, it is what it is, right? If there's uh, if there's nothing else, uh, you get the authentic me. So there I you go. I love it. I love it. How can folks get a hold of you? Uh, easiest way is, you know, email, website, uh, and it's pretty easy. It's just jasontcollette.com. So, um can send me an email through Jason T. Collette. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, same, Jason T. Collette. There, there's a really famous musician called Jason Collette out there in Canada. So um, if you forget the T, you're going to find the music man up in, I don't know, Montreal or something. Uh, but if you add my middle initial, the T, it's pretty easy to find. Awesome. And I'll obviously have that in the show description so folks can get a hold of you. But uh, Jason, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I I always love when I can dive deep with folks and I can do as little talking as possible within a podcast um, because I think that's what interesting pieces of a conversation are. So uh, for everybody listening, as always, feel free to reach out. As always, if you got constructive criticism, keyword is constructive. Don't just complain. Offer a solution. That's the only way I listen. (laughs) Um, just feel free to reach out. And uh, again, Jason, I appreciate you coming on and I'm sure you and I will chat soon and everybody else listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode.